Gilbert to hear my conversation with our Chief Investment Officer, Leslie Marks. We talk all about her view on monetary policy and where it's headed, why volatility and equities have been so low, as well as what to look for during earnings season that kicks off next week. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnurr, and I'm delighted to be back with our Chief Investment Officer for Equities, Leslie Marks. Leslie, welcome back. Great to be here once again, Matt. Uh, we're in a bit of the slow days of the summer, so uh, we don't have a, a, a large podcast likely in store, but I guess we'll see. But I thought we'd start by uh, taking uh, a look into the future. Uh, central banks have been such an important driver of markets for the past, call it three, four years. Um, and uh, we do have some upcoming meetings for both the uh, Bank of Canada and the Fed. Bank of Canada is next week, the Fed two weeks after that. And I guess my question is on both. They, they've sort of uh, positioned the market uh, that the, the Bank of Canada was on hold, just uh, hiked. Uh, do you think that they're going to go back to hold or are they going to extend uh, the, the hiking pattern? Uh, and then same with the, the Fed. Uh, are, we gonna, are we in for a skip or is there, uh, is there something else in store? Yeah, well, I think it's um. First of all, I just yeah want to acknowledge that being in in the summer, it it is a bit of a slow time for news and events, and so it's not surprising that people continue to focus on what they've been focused on for the last sure. year, which is <laughs> the um, central banks. And Bank of Canada is probably as good a place to start as any because we have the Bank of Canada first uh, next week. Right. I think the market right now is still pricing in about a 50% chance that the bank goes another 25 basis points. And I just want to go back to uh, where we were um, after the last meeting. And it was our belief that the Bank of Canada would not have moved 25 basis points if it wasn't their intention to do another 25 now. Now, of course, they are... Um, data dependent, as they have been saying over the last six months. But just this idea that they would hike 25 basis points and then stop, you'd sort of say to yourself, well, well why bother? And, and really, the thinking is that they're really trying to change uh, behaviors. Um, they started to see house prices start to rise again over the last few months. And they wanted to put a stop to that. Um, that's been a, a, an issue that has been overhanging for uh, Canadians who have generally been pretty significantly um, indebted and particularly with, with mortgage debt. Now, unfortunately, we have continued to see strength in the housing market. We just saw some data come out, very strong data uh, in Vancouver and Calgary over the last couple of days. You know, the other piece of data that has come out since the last meeting is the business outlook survey from the second quarter. And I, I'd say overall, um, the business outlook survey score, the overall score was was negative, but um, there were pockets that referenced uh, inflation that is still trending positive and um, wage and price increases are still expected to be larger than normal. So I'd say on balance, the business outlook survey probably also supports another 25 basis points increase. So overall, I think they, they, they probably go at 25 basis points next week. Uh, moving on to the Fed, um, I think the most important thing we've heard 
recently is the Fed minutes that were released earlier this week. And I would say my interpretation of the Fed minutes is that officials seem to be leaning hawkish. And that gives us more confidence in the call that the last meeting, the pause in the last meeting was really a skip. And so the next meeting um, is likely to see an increase. Today, we saw very strong uh, jobs data from the ADP data. Um, now, tomorrow, we'll see the non-farm payroll report. So it'll be right. interesting to see if that's consistent with the ADP data. But the ADP data showed that payrolls increased uh, 497,000, which was more than double what people were looking for. And so what we've seen is yields move up as, as they have over the last couple of days um, with two-year yields above 5%, which is a psychological barrier, I think, and sure. 10-year yields above 4%, also a psychological barrier. So the market is is starting to have a lot of conviction around um, the Fed moving when uh, they meet in, in a couple of weeks. So what we have here are central bankers that uh, certainly in North America, and we've also seen this in Europe, that are continuing um, to be hawkish and uh, continuing to increase uh, interest rates to bring down inflation in their respective economies. That's great. Uh, great context and overview, uh, Leslie. Uh, one follow-up for you that you're probably not going to be able to answer because I'm not sure that anyone has the answer to it. But uh, the strength of the Canadian housing market is just remarkable from my uh, perspective. I know that uh, a lot of people, we certainly saw an uptick in, in activity and, and sales over COVID. Um, and now we're sitting at uh, prime rates of uh, around 7%. A lot of people locked this in around two. These are pretty prices, pricey housing uh, that, they, that they've done and a lot of mortgage debt. What is it going to take to to slow down the, the housing market? Is it just a matter of time or like what else are you looking for? Well, it's true what you said. It's, it's not an easy question to answer. I think what we one thing we do know is what has been driving housing uh, more recently has been just the supply and demand fundamentals. There hasn't been a lot of supply and we've right. obviously had a lot of demand from immigration um, with our population hitting over 40 million over the last uh, week. That's a significant milestone. And um, so that continues to support the housing market. To answer the second part of your question is, okay, well, if that's the case, I mean, immigration is going to continue to be an important part of Canadian policy. Um, so then what is going to, to slow housing? I think eventually pricing becomes a, a factor um, as people continue to roll over their mortgages. Um, to date, most of the increased mortgage costs have been managed through blend and extend uh, right. programs through uh, financial institutions. That's not going to be um, the case long term. So perhaps it's just taking longer than people think to see the interest sensitivity come into uh, the housing market here in this country. But as I said, with an increase in population, there continues to be a steady inflow of new demand for housing. Great. Uh, good context there as well. Moving into the equity markets, uh, we've seen uh, volatility in equities be uh, just at an extremely low level and, and has uh, has um, been falling and, and has resided at an extremely uh, low level. Is this ominous? Are you expecting a, a large increase in, in volatility? Well, volatility is really interesting to watch because, you know, volatility is an indication of how people feel about 
uh, risk. And so when volatility hits very low levels, and I'm going to use the VIX as an example, and what we've seen is the VIX hit levels that we haven't seen since before the pandemic. So we're kind of hitting 2019 uh, levels. It's an indication that people aren't concerned about risk, which is a little bit ironic when you think about how concerned people are about the economic outlook. Um, So it it seems to be a a bit of a disconnect. My concern, and and I think where you use the word ominous, where this might be ominous is if you see any type of tail event in in the market, that's where you end up having a, a fairly large impact to the negative when it comes to risk assets and equities in particular. So we saw a big spike very quickly, for example, in March through um, the acute part of the regional banking crisis. Um, And and that's the type of event that may be unpredictable, yet ends up having an outsized impact on risky asset classes because the expectations are so low for for volatility. So that's where uh, low volatility can actually be a bit of an ominous sign for an, a negative event in the market. That's great. Maybe moving on and sort of going back to my comment on housing um, and, and sort of tying it into some of the comments you made on equity markets and the like, it just seems in general that the economy feels like it's less interest uh, sensitive. And I've seen some writings around this. What is your thought? I guess, what's, what's your feedback on that? Um, do, do you feel like the, the economy is not as interest rate sensitive as we once thought? So I think that what you've identified here is the big fundamental story or issue in the market right now. We've had a record pace of interest rate increases that are meant to really take oomph out of the market, if you will. And yet we haven't seen the response. So now that we would expect, I should say, in, in the economy, labor continues to be strong. We talked about housing being strong, consumer confidence. It's waned, but it's generally been okay. People are still spending. Travel is really strong. In every data point that we would look at and say, um, this should be impacted by higher interest rates, really hasn't been. So that's what begs the question of, okay, have we under-anticipated the interest sensitivity of of the economy? And I guess there's there's two things um, that are relevant here. The first one is, and I used it as an example in talking about housing, which is maybe we just haven't given it enough time to play out. We've had an extraordinary period in history coming out of a pandemic. People are still revenge spending. They're still traveling. They're still paying higher prices for things because they feel that they've been so deprived for so long that they don't want to give those things up, even though they know they cost more. But eventually, the savings that were built up over those pandemic years get drawn down, and there just isn't the excess in one's bank account to continue to afford these luxuries. And so that's that's the time question. The, the other goes back to the labor market and the strength in the labor market, which has really shifted um, the power to the worker in the sense of mm. wage growth. And you, you know, we're looking at interest rates on, on the nominal side and, and the impact. But on the real side, when you deduct inflation, um, interest rates in, in some areas of the curve are only uh, positive on, on a real sense in, in some areas. So 
for example, the shorter end of the curve. So the fact that you still have strong wage growth and people are still working has been a bit of an offset to higher interest rates. And even companies have been able to maintain pretty good pricing power um, in some sense, which has also helped the outlook for uh, earnings and, and corporations. So there's been a whole bunch of factors that have come together with the benefit of hindsight now looking back to say that um, there is a chance that the economy is not as interest sensitive as we thought it would be under these conditions, which are unique, where you have, as I said, very low unemployment and strong wage growth that has helped to offset higher interest costs. That certainly makes a lot of sense. Is your view, I guess, so long as wages continue to, to keep up with inflation, uh, that, uh, that this can continue to go for some time? Or, or, or do you think on balance that once you give it enough time with higher interest rates, that uh, that will break the cycle? I think the cycle will eventually be broken. I think we're starting to see that. And, and I'm going back to the business outlook survey that the Bank of Canada does, where companies are saying we're starting to see that we believe that the worst is behind us when it comes to upside wage pressure and cost growth. And if you look at things like um, supply chain metrics, you it, it's evident that the big issues that we had with supply chain over the last, call it three years, have really abated. Now, there's still some tight areas of supply chain, but overall, um, the supply chain has moderated to what is generally seen as, in in most cases, an over-inventoried position. And so I think that's sort of the first step. So when companies can experience a lower cost profile, um, that starts to filter through to inflation and uh, then they don't have the same propensity to be able to increase wages. Thank you. Now, I guess the, the final question to, to discuss is uh, we're just about to head into earnings seasons uh, next week with the U.S. Uh, kicking off. We rarely talk about individual stocks uh, on, on these uh, types of podcasts, but I'm curious, is there any uh, stocks that you're looking uh, as an indication of, uh, of the future of the economy or, or what, what you're interested in in general? Well, I think, as you mentioned, earnings season is going to kick off uh, next week. We typically see that starting with the big U.S. banks. Uh, They're the first to report. Canadian companies tend to come about a month later. So we'll see some very good data um, post, you know, this is Q2 data. So this is sort of the March 1st to, to June 30th data. So that'll be a good indication of how the second quarter played out post uh, the regional banking crisis that we saw kick off in March and the change in fundamentals for for the banks. After that, there will be a fast follow with uh, technology companies. And, and in that case, where we, where we may see some caution coming from um, the U.S. banks, um, we will probably see pretty good, uh, and, and I only say this just based on the strength in, in what we've seen in the companies, uh, we would expect to see fairly strong earnings from many of the technology names that have been big movers uh, year to date and have really driven um, the returns in in the S&P. Right. Um, in general, 
earnings surprised in, in the first quarter, mostly due to cost containment or, or cost cutting. And we think of that as lower quality earnings than if you would compare that to earnings that are driven by more top line growth. And typically, um, you know, once you make a cut in, in costs, it's not something you can repeatedly do without impacting right. your growth rate. So that's why we would call that lower quality earnings. Uh, the second quarter will continue to be weak year over year in, in earnings, but it's really about expectations. And I think everyone knows that. I think the the back half of the year um, is where the forecasts are starting to show uh, quarter over quarter improvements, um, the third quarter versus the second and the fourth quarter versus the third. And I think that's, that's a bit of a, a, a risk right now. And expectations are still for 10% growth in 2024. And I think in a 1% to 2% growth economy, it's going to be really challenging to hit a 10% growth rate. So we're always on a bit of a treadmill when it comes to earnings um, because the information you get is backward looking uh, outside of the forecast that that companies give um, going forward. And so we think that the going forward part is the part that we have some caution um, about. Great. Well, Leslie, why don't we call it there? Thanks so much for uh, spending time with me and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer until we talk again. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 